Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug and play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point of sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. How's it going, everybody? This is Andy McCullough from The Athletic here with Mark Carrig. Also from The Athletic, you are listening to Beyond the Scrum, a show about baseball. We are back. We took a week-long hiatus while nothing else was happening in America to uh, refresh and recharge. We've got a fun episode this week. Mark, how you doing, man? I'm great. Just been a nice, boring week or so. So just sitting here rant-free and chill. Great. Just a very normal, normal week. Hey, yes. we got a great guest, uh, my former colleague from the Los Angeles Times, Bill Plaschke, uh, probably the most decorated sports columnist in terms of APSC and best American sports writing uh, there is. Uh, we talked about the Dodgers uh, covering sports in 2020. His career was really fun, so looking forward to that. We'll get to that shortly. But first, Mark, there was a love fest in New York today. How about because that? there's a new sheriff in town, and his name <laughs> is Steve Cohen. I, I don't know if I called him a sheriff, um, Andy, but yeah, kind of an interesting day. Today was the day of the uh, official press conference with Steve Cohen, the new owner of the Mets, mm-hmm. and uh, Sandy Alderson, the comeback from uh, you know being the GM now, the team president. So. It was weird, like it was weird to attend virtually a Mets press conference and have everybody sound competent. Um, That was bizarre, like they were saying things that made sense and they said stuff and made claims that you didn't just immediately roll your eyes at so yeah. that that was interesting like he uh, seemed prepared for the questions mm-hmm. and thought through his responses and offered cogent answers yeah it's you know I, I will say this like and not you know clearly being a smart ass there but like um steve cohen did something today that i thought was really interesting in that it's very obvious that he has got a pulse on what these fans want and demand and hope mm. for and i kind of think that's really rare amongst owners now mm. the longer he's in that role i think it's reasonable to expect that it changes but for now 
it was sort of interesting to hear that everything he said was from this really genuine place because he's not that far removed from really having no control over whether his baseball team was run poorly, right? Like he had, just like everybody else, he's got, he's worth $14 billion and yet he's just like everybody else in Flushing, like, you know, living through this hellscape of like watching their favorite baseball team get run by clowns. Right. So he's no longer subject to that and he sounded a lot like the fans did. Like there was joy there and like you covered sandy alderson mm-hmm. he was downright bubbly today he wow. I mean it was like the end of shawshank today a bubbly sandy it oh, was wow. it was like he's making jokes he's the life of the party like yeah. it was just like hmm that's yeah. different so <laughs> like not to say that he was like you know a jerk or anything well but you like, don't you don't recall feel. you don't recall 2010 sandy alderson when he took the job he was also pretty uh, you know, like upbeat about it. But mm, I think no, I had 2014 years. Sandy. Mm. He was not upbeat about it. Yeah, se- several <laughs> years, you know, sort of in the in the Wilpon Threshers will will grind you down. Um, you know, being told that your only you know off season options are like half a million dollars to sign Ronnie Polino and uh, you know DJ Carrasco, or you know that's that's a bit that's a bit. Oh, uh, hey, don't forget they splurged on Frank Francisco. Okay, yeah, that one never made. I think that was like a fourteen million dollar deal. That was just a that was just a whiff. I think mm-hmm. yeah, that was just a whiff. Nothing, and and he's, more to he's it had those two. Like that's the thing. Yeah, like, Sandy's like an accomplished executive, but. When you look at the track record here, you can't just pin it all on, oh, the owners were like what they were. Like some of these were just straight up misses. Michael Kadire was a straight up miss. Okay. Like they they targeted a guy and like, you know, didn't work out. So like Yeah, that's what, a great point. Who was in charge when the team got uh, uh, Michael Conforto? Yeah, right. So Sandy Alderson was in charge of the team. Okay. What about Dom Smith? Oh, so we're gonna play this card. We're gonna play well, the just defense. Just like all card. the good players on the team were brought yes, in. Yes, no, no, no. There, clearly, clearly, clearly. No, like, right? but you know, I'm, what I say that only because <laughs> I think there's been, because of the last couple of years, some revisionist history that's gone on with Sandy's term here, and sure. I think there were a lot of positive things that went down. I also think there were some misses that went down that weren't necessarily like, oh, well, the owners like screwed up the budget. No, like there were just straight up misses because that's what happens in baseball. Now what? Sure. I think is interesting though is that, and Sandy talked about this a bit today. You know, stepping away from the day to day, I feel like it gave him a fresh view on a lot of things, and it either, you know, re, you know, kind of reinforced some things he already believed, but also, like he was talking to people that you know, like in depth, that you know he wouldn't be when you're making high level decisions constantly. I think, you know, for instance, when he was working in his capacity with the A's, he talked about, you know, talking to the minor league coaches a lot more. And, 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 you know, I, and basically, here's this guy that didn't have to do those things, yet he was curious and engaged enough to do it anyway. And I think that, more than the moves and the free agency and the, tra- and the trades or whatever, though that sort of predilection towards curiosity, mm-hmm. I think, is much more indicative of what this guy is and what he brings. Yeah. to the table well you're talking about so steve cohen has basically said i believe he said this today that his model for what he wants the, the mets to be is the dodgers right yeah more so, or less yeah and more or less alderson is going to fill the role that stan caston fills in 
uh, Los Angeles. You know, he's the president of the team. They're probably going to get a president of baseball operations plus a GM. You know, like it's not going to be just one man underneath him. You know, they're they're probably going to make at least two relatively well-known hires to staff the baseball department. And, um, you know, Cohen was talking about just all the things that the Mets have let slip, you know, the Mm -hmm. analytics department and, you know, paying and making sure, you know, they have, uh, you know, all their scouting and stuff, uh, you know, together and building up the infrastructure of the organization so their scouts have the right resources, you know, all those sorts of things. Um, You know, it's it like I, I think there is going to be there's pressure on the team to sign George Springer or sign JT Realmuto or sign Trevor Bauer. And like they can do all those things. They can, you know, trade for you, Darvish. They can do lots of different things, but they're not going to none of those moves will really reshape the direction of the franchise more than building the infrastructure so that the team becomes like the Dodgers you know, a self-perpetuating sort of development machine. Let, and that let takes me, time. Here's uh, something that blew my mind in doing the reporting for another story. And I was talking to somebody who's familiar with how the Mets work, okay? At one point, the Mets budget for infrastructure, for baseball technology, was $500,000, there were teams that were spending $10 million. The Dodgers, I think, had been up in that realm of multi-million dollar expenditures on technology. So, you know, I hadn't heard that. Like, I knew that clearly the Mets were behind. But we're talking about, like, the factor of 20 at that point. I mean, that's, That's like, incredible. Like, and, And so, look, and this is somebody who admits, like, sometimes buying all the toys is eyewash. Especially if you don't have the people in place to help make something of it, right? So you can spend that money and not get any return on it if you don't have the right people. That said, $500,000 you're spending and then your rivals are spending $10 million? Like that's <laughs> yeah. just not tenable. You're losing the arms race. Though. You are. And, like, and that's a thing that was never going to change with Wilpons owning the team, ever. And so listening to Sandy today... Uh, I think a lot of some of that underlying relief, joy, whatever you want to call it, is you know a reflection of the fact that at least he knows now that they can compete in that arms race. And, and the rest is just up to their own competence, which I think that's all anybody wants anyway, right? It's like if you're going to win or lose, it's going to be because of the de- decisions that you make, not external factors, not complications. And so I think the Mets got a whole lot simpler today. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Well, we will probably be talking uh, a decent amount more about the Mets as the winter goes along. But until then, let's get to our interview with Bill Plaschke. So we are here uh, with our guest. I have been uh, very fortunate in my newspaper career to work with a lot of really good columnists, work with Steve Politi and Dave D'Alessandro at the Star-Ledger, Sam Mellinger and Vahe Gregorian at the Kansas City Star, and then at the LA Times, I worked with Dylan Hernandez and a legend of the business, Bill Plaschke. What is up, Bill? What's going on, fellas? Just living the dream, man. How about you? No, uh, still trying to recover from the uh, two months of... uh, LA euphoria and personal nightmare of cover of, of writing columns on the Lakers and Dodgers. I yeah. mean, it's like one minute I was writing 
the forward to the uh, our, our Laker souvenir championship book, and the next day I'm covering the Dodgers playoff game. Yeah, well, at least you had your health. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. Besides, besides, besides recovering from a bout with COVID this summer, yeah. <laughs> well, so, was, it's been a, it's been it's been a great it's been a great year. Well, you've been doing this job for a long time, right? Like you've been a columnist since '96. Is that right? Yes, that's true. So twenty five years. How how challenging was this one to try and like do the do the work you do without the access with all with all of the sort of just sort of structural impediments? It was the most challenging I've, I've ever had in my career. The most challenging two and a half months I've had in my career because you're basically writing off. You know, you're you're attending every fourth thing. The Lakers and Dodgers never go back to back. Obviously, you know it's usually in the it's in October and in the spring. So you're going back to back with high pressure, high volume games, writing for the cover of the newspaper every night, and you're doing it from TV. So you don't get any extra interviews. You don't get any extra color. You don't get any extra sound. So you basically have to rely on what you've seen in the past and look for any details you can see in the present. And it's just really, it's really, it was really difficult. And somebody said, well, at least you'd have to travel. Well, if, if, if I had to travel in some cases, I may not have gone like the first rounds. I may not have gone on the road in the first rounds, but because you can cover from home, you cover every game, every time, everything. And it's, and we, we have terrible, terrible deadlines at the LA times and the games all started late. So, but, but, but the main, but, 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 but that's a problem all the time. The main difference this time was, again, you're unable to get that little nugget from the backup catcher before the game or that little sights. I had, my stories are generally filled with sights and sounds from the crowd, from the uh, post-game locker room, from the dugout during the game. And I didn't have any of that. So they would say, okay, you got 35 inches to fill for the cover of the paper. I'm like, I don't know if I can get 35 out of this <laughs> you get because this. it could be because I can't do I can't do foregrass on the crowd's reaction. Right. I can't do foregrass on the player's celebration. I didn't have one. I didn't mention I covered two championships, start to finish, and I didn't mention the word champagne once in the story. So that was and again. I, I'm no fan of the champagne celebrations, and mm-hmm. I wish the media wasn't allowed in there. And Yasiel Puig once poured, as you know, Andy. <laughs> yes, I do. Once poured a bucket of ice water on me. Yeah, that and was said, take take the take that L.A. Times in, in Milwaukee after Game Seven, yeah. in 2018. I believe but, it said uh, you can write whatever you want. Yeah, write that L.A. Times. That was nice. And I was I was almost had a heart attack, but <laughs> but I'm not, I'm not a fan of that. Yeah. But it's color and it's part of this scene and there was no scene there was no color i felt like a tv reviewer i felt like i was reviewing a tv show yeah it was kind of so it was kind of like theater criticism i mean mark and i yes, dealt with that was. too like we were you kind of feel like you're doing like theater criticism right mark <laughs> yeah, yeah and, and you know and so they said well do you want to go to the games no it's worse it's harder at the games mm-hmm. because you have no access yeah, you have to do the Zoom calls in the press box. Mm-hmm. You don't know how the wireless is going to be set up. You don't know how that, you know. So I would, and then on top of all that, so I would set up, I would, I try to do it in front of my big TV set. That didn't work. I didn't have a place to write. So I put it on my iPad. So I, I was joining, you know, I streamed all the games on my iPad, put it next to my desk. 
and end up getting neck problems from going back and forth, <laughs> looking at the damn screen and looking at the computer screen. Um, it was, yeah, I would have just rather have packed up my crap and gone to a game and sat in a damn press box. Well, you gone could, to a damn clubhouse. Yeah. You could hear like the people who were at the games and Mark and I were not as well, you know, <clears throat> for, you know, for any of the postseason. And you could hear on the zoom calls, the people who were at home, they're coming in clear, they're calm. And then you hear like, uh, you know, the people who are at the games, like, uh, uh, the Walker, uh, Walker, talk about your fastball command. Cause, cause the fans are like leaving the ballpark. <laughs> they're shouting over each other. Well, well, here's the worst to try, try this. So LeBron James is, you know, LeBron James talks every day. Mm -hmm. So I had the most famous athlete in the world in my living room, in my, on my desk, on my desk every, every night. Mm -hmm. And okay. All right. Next question, Bill Plasky. And I can't find the unmute button. (laughs) (laughs) And I, and I, and I panic and LeBron's like, what now, Bill, what, what are you saying? And and I didn't say anything. And I panicked and they said, okay, next question. We'll go, we'll, we'll move along. And LeBron's like, well, give give the old guy a chance. (laughs) It was terrible. It was, it was terrible. No, no, no. So I, I didn't ask the the whole thing started with the Lakers. So in, in late August, I guess, or mid August, mid August, I didn't ask a question for a week because I was afraid I couldn't figure out. (laughs) I didn't want to, you know, they, they come to me and they put them. And so, the Lakers eventually, the PR people were so smart, they eventually unmuted you themselves, you, which I didn't know you could do. They, they could do that. Mm-hmm. The Dodgers did not. I, I, I missed the Dodge, a couple of Dodger questions. All right, Bill Blasky's next. All right, anybody else? Well, the, the Dodgers <laughs> at least had the raise hand function because on some team Zooms, it would just be a free-for-all. They'd just be like, okay, we'll open it up to questions. And then it's just everyone unmutes and just starts shouting at whoever's on the other oh, side. Oh, well, well, so they, well, they had their – Everyone at the both Dodgers and Lakers had the raised hand function, but yeah, then yeah. you'd raise the hand. But with the Dodgers, with, with the Dodgers, I think it was the Dodgers. I think it was the Dodgers. You had to put the hand back down when you ask a question. <laughs> right. And if you did, if you didn't, they'd come to they'd come to you again. And I'm like, I'm like, I got nothing. I got nothing. <laughs> Bill, next question. Bill, ask you again. Yeah. Another for Bill. Uh, I, I got nothing. Yeah. Do Do you? I mean, is it, as someone who's been writing about the Dodgers since, was your first year on the beat 89? Is that right? I took over. I covered the World Series in 80, 88. Right. And then and then became the beat guy in 89. Is Was there like a sense of just sort of professional, uh, I don't know if disappointment's the right way to put it, or, or just, I mean, like how did you put into context this, you know, and them finally ending the drought, but doing it in this sort of environment? Well, like initially, I kept writing, this is the best of times, worst of times, blah, 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 mm-hmm. cliche, you know, bittersweet. Yeah. They get a championship and they can't enjoy it. But then I realized probably halfway through the Lakers that at the end of the day, when it got close, the fans didn't, the fans put the, put all that aside. They suspended mm-hmm. their disbelief. They suspended their, their credibility, their credulity, and they just said, the hell that we're champions, we're going to celebrate. So I didn't, I, you know, I, I would mention in a paragraph, it's a shame this could have been a Dodger Stadium or a Staples Center. What, what, how crazy would it have been? How magical would it have been? But that didn't deter any fan. You know, I write for L.A., and the L.A. fan was fully into it. I mean, people were crying after the Dodgers won. They didn't care that they couldn't see it. Mm-hmm. So that, that really didn't play that big of a part in it at the end of the day. And I, but I do think it really took away from it. I think it, mm-hmm. I mean, there's no, no parades. There's no 
Laker flags in town. There's no Dodger gear. Although there's Dodger gear now that they won a lot of Dodger gear being sold, but mm-hmm. there was just no buzz. Mm-hmm. There was just no buzz about any of it until the very end. Right. But again, once it once it ended, I think at least fans here. It's funny, fans in other cities are like, "Oh, it was a asterisk season, and it didn't count, and sixty games." And fans here are like, "Oh, bring it on! This is a real season, <laughs> real championship. We're 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 number one." Yeah. Yeah. I, so you've talked about the challenge of this, and and I, I, I'm like 95% sure it was you, but I remember reading something about dealing with deadline, for instance, and how it was all about preparation, that if the more prepared you were, the easier you could deal with this challenge. Well, listening to you talk about access this year, clearly it was a challenge. So ultimately, how did you work around it because the work was still great? It still transmitted these feelings that you talk about. Um, how did you pull it off? I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. To be honest with you, I don't know. I mean, I would, as far as deadlines and doing it on deadlines, I would write, I can't tell you how many times. I think I've got a Dodger, and Andy will appreciate this having covered the team. I've got a Dodger loss column still in my computer after they you know, they lost to the Braves four games to oh, one. Oh, you, should, you should see my column. <laughs> you know, yeah, I just I just killed him. I said they should and trade I, and, Bellinger. <laughs> you know what? I may have said the same thing. My lead, my lead. In fact, in fact, I can go. Can I? Can I minimize this and go to my lead? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. This is great. <laughs> okay. Let, yeah. let me read you. Let me read you my lead. Oh, I love this. Straight from the straight from the lead graveyard. My favorite. Here it is. Ready? Here, you're all ready. Ready for this? Yeah. Thirty-two years. Period. New graph. The Dodgers championship drought grew a season older Friday night, aging ungracefully, stumbling through adulthood, blue turning gray. 32 years! The Dodgers <laughs> season ended short of a World Series title again Friday night, the same conclusion as in every autumn since 1988, the same storyline for the past eight seasons. The studs of June become the duds of October. Mm. 32 years! <laughs> uh, hold on. Unbelievably, totally believably, the drought lives. Yeah, this, this, this is my graveyard column. Oh, right, Andy, on. go ahead. Your turn. They look like the best team in baseball. The Dodgers produced the best record and the best run differential in the National League. The road to the World Series went through them. Their lineup was built around an MVP candidate, flanked by a, rotate, flanked by a stellar supporting cast with the best slugging percentage on the senior circuit. The starting rotation led its league in ERA. The bullpen's collective ERA finished in the top five at the sport. All these things were true for the Dodgers in 2020, but they were also true in 2019 which makes the team's most recent defeat in the National League Championship <laughs> Series difficult to swallow, yet easy to fathom. This wasn't supposed <laughs> to happen again, but of course it did. <laughs> I just, oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I, had, I, 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 so I had that in my system, and I just kept it in the system the whole time. Yeah. So, so yeah. now I didn't, <laughs> on the flip side, I, I didn't do it for the, 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 the Lakers, because they never were that in danger. Right, right. So when they lost, when Danny Green missed that shot in game five against the Heat that could have won the series, I went crazy. Oh my God, Danny Green blew it. They lost it. I just, off the top, off the top of my head, my God, he choked. He was under pressure. What a uh-huh. terrible brick. Danny Green gets death threats the next day. I feel, oh, ter- no. I feel, I feel terrible. Oh, yeah. No. But, but, um, yeah. So yeah, you, you, you had, you had to, so I had to write, many nights two columns right and have two columns ready to go and then fill in the blanks so it was it was uh but i would also i would always i can tell you every 
I never watched the Fox post game show in baseball ever. I've mm -hmm. never seen it. I never heard of it. Mm -hmm. I never, I never, but I tell you, I stuck with that Fox broadcast through every bit of color they had. So I know those guys like they're my neighbors now, Frank <laughs> Thomas and A-Rod and Big Poppy. And what's Dontrell Willis doing on there? I still don't understand that. And, and, and why is he not in his studio with the rest of them? No room it's at very the desk. Confusing. Very not confusing. But, yeah. but anyway, those guys are like my brothers now because I, I, I watched every inst – because you, you had to get any, anything of color you could get. So you'd stay with the broadcast to see if they showed any player doing anything or – Anybody doing, you know, anybody throwing a glove in the air or celebrating or or hugging or, you know, yeah. I was desperately, and as Andy knows, well, for being in, where I right next to me, I'm big on tears. I'm big on crying. <laughs> it's hard to see tears. Yeah, you can't. Fox, it's tough. You, you, can't, you can't see them. And so, and so literally, literally, I had this Anthony Davis buried his face in a towel. And I called our guy in the bubble in Orlando on deadline. I said, "Was he crying? Was he crying? <laughs> I don't know." I said, "How come you don't know? I don't know." I what? said, "Come on, tell me. Couldn't you tell? Was he crying into that towel? I don't know. I couldn't tell. He had a towel in his freaking face." Oh, man, that's getting let down by a teammate right there. Oh, I know. I, I'm like, I'm like, come on, just just see any water. Is there any water visible anywhere? Yeah. <laughs> Can you confirm yeah, the so tears? Was, damn it. Uh, so for uh, I, I tried to. I, I'm dead. The guy's on deadline, and I'm I'm, I'm calling him. Please tell me what happened. That's yeah. hilarious. What uh, what was your reaction? I guess when you're watching the celebration and you're kind of trying to like power through your column and you see what happened with Justin Turner when he comes back on the field. Well, I didn't know. This is weird. I didn't because we had such bad deadlines. Once they won, and I squeezed every ounce of the immediate celebration out of the Fox broadcast, I had to turn, I had to turn it off right. to finish because it was such a big moment. Mm -hmm. So I'm writing. So I wrote about, I heard about Turner. I wrote about Turner at Cessna positive for COVID. And I had to quote from Seeger, I wish you could celebrate with us. Mm -hmm. And I, and I turned my story in for A1 because it had to be, be turned, turned in early. And I was exhausted. I slumped over my, my computer. And then about a half hour later, I called Dylan Hernandez just a debrief. And he says, you know, Turner came back on the field. I said, he what? Oh, no. I said, oh, no. And so I called the office and got that in my story. But I knew I'd have to write a column the next day on that. Mm -hmm. That was, that was, um, and it was insane. I heard, I heard, I heard you on the radio, Andy, out here. Mm -hmm. A lot of, a lot of people were blaming the Dodgers in baseball. And I just, I just still think the, the, the owners should go on Justin Turner. Mm -hmm. He's not some high school jock. He's an adult. I had COVID. I know to stay away from people. I had COVID. I couldn't go to the front porch to see my girlfriend. Mm -hmm. He had COVID. And he runs onto the field. Again, baseball should have, baseball's mechanisms were wrong. They should have gotten him out of the stadium immediately. Mm -hmm. What was he even doing there? But I still think he was, he was, you know, it was, it was, uh, it was a bad thing. Yeah, I think it's. Him. I think it's. We talked about this kind of, you know, afterwards. But you know, I, I think it's just to me, it depends on where you, you know how you want to focus being frustrated because i think that's reasonable to as you know people who are outside this watching you know and and some of us have to you know write columns and offer opinion on it like it's you have to decide between you know what's worse sort of a, a bad individual decision or a weak collective policy and i just kind of looked at it as like turner made a mistake but his mistake should not have been allowed to happen i guess um, yeah, was and, it, and that's, was, that's true. And, and that column got 
more response and more clicks and more. Yeah. Of course, we don't we don't care about clicks anymore. We care about conversions <laughs> and subscriber clicks. I'm just learning all this new stuff every yeah. day. So, but it got the most of all that stuff of any story we did during the postseason. Mm. I think was it difficult for you to write about someone who, you know, you definitely like respect as a player and a person for what he does in L.A. and he's in an understandable sort of position you know like he made a mistake that i think we can all understand why it happened was is it difficult like at, at this point in your career to to kind no. of go like how do you how do you balance i mean I, you know like that's part of the job i guess but like how do you get over kind of the squeamishness of that well first off we're not their friends right you know and 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 uh, they're you know so that at the end of the day they're ball players we're writers and we have to never ever forget that but um the, this was particularly it wasn't hard for me at all because i had covid mm-hmm I was sidelined for two and a half weeks this summer with it. So, and I was pretty sick. So it really hit home with me and I'm like, he's just being selfish. So no, I, I was, I, I know he was, I, I wrote, it was understandable, his emotions, but what was unacceptable was his actions. And I, and I wrote that and I got, I thought I'd get killed by a lot of people, but I got as mixed. The, the response was mixed. Although, you know, you, you know, you're in trouble when, as far as you're going to get criticized when you write a column, and you get an email, not a t- not a tweet or a, or a mention, but an email calling you a calling you a, a dumb. F- excuse my language, calling you a dumbass. Excuse my language again. It, it, but you get the email right after, right after your column hits the web. So people who email are usually readers of the paper, the older readers. Maybe he was just reaching out about another column. Yeah, no, no, I was I was ripped. I was cursed repeatedly for the first 10 minutes on an email after the column, the column hit like at seven o'clock the next night. And I was by eight o'clock, my email was full with just people just killing me. But then it, the tide turned and it kind of went half and half. And you know, it's, it's half and half. When I went on the Dodger station the next day to talk about it and they didn't argue with me that much. Mm. I think everybody knows he screwed up. The Dodgers Mm. are trying to be nice about it, but they know he screwed up. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Like it was, because there's a lot of yeah. Sorry, go Mark. No, go ahead. I just, I just want to say there's a lot of lingering affection for him within the organization, you know. And I think, um, yeah. So yeah, and they you know they want to bring the guy back. He's an important part of the team. So they don't probably all just want to go and blast him for. Are they going to bring him back? You think? I don't know. I think they should. He's still a really good hitter, and you know, yeah, they can afford him on a you know short term deal. Yeah, I think they should. I think Andrew wants to get Lindor or Nolan or, or Arenado. Well, the Rockies will never trade Arenado to 
You saw that yeah, statement by their owner, though. I mean, I don't want to get into deep baseball talk. Did your owner? <laughs> I don't think. Yeah, I just think he'll find somewhere else. You know, uh, you can, there's there's other places you could take. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. They owe him a lot of money for a they lot do. of year, for a lot of years. They do. But well, you're right. Uh, I mean, the Dodgers do prefer. They do have designs on Lindor, but they also have Corey Seager. So. Yeah, Corey. We'll Corey. And it was weird. All the 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 response you you cover these guys, and everybody loved Corey Seager. And I'm like, he's so quiet. No, no, he's such an outgoing guy. Is what everybody who watched on TV thought that. <laughs> but, but he's really he's really like the worst interview. In the, you know, not not a, I don't no, say a bad interview. True. He just doesn't like you. He likes me. Yeah, but he, he likes Dylan. He loves Dylan. <laughs> Dylan's his guy. But it's funny how you got. You have fewer. Dylan is was a beat guy, and you as a beat guy, Andy. You have as the years go on, you have fewer and fewer guys in that clubhouse. And I was a beat guy, and mm-hmm. like four or five years later, your sources are all dried up because you have. <laughs> yeah. It's always great to have one guy to go to in that clubhouse. When you walk in there and you're uncomfortable, and everybody's looking at you, like, "What are you doing here?" To have one guy to go talk about the about the Lakers with, mm-hmm. and my guy was always. That's true. It was always Kenley Jansen, so I'm really rooting for him big time to come back and make a big comeback. <laughs> it's funny you say that, like going, doing, getting off a beat and then doing national stuff. Is, that's exactly the countdown I'm dreading. When I walk into like the Mets clubhouse or the Yankee clubhouse, and it's like, oh crap, I don't know any of these guys. Like it's, it feels like it gets closer and closer to that every season. Yeah, it, it does. It, it does. It, it does, and it's worth dreading because if you don't have anybody in there. And that'd be the hard part about being a national guy like you guys. Of course, you guys have – you want to be on a – have covered a team where players go to other teams. But, yeah, I mean, I'm sure you guys walk in a lot of clubhouses your first year doing this as a national guy. We're just – you know, you, you're looking for somebody, anybody to go to, even a clubby, an assistant trainer, a bullpen catcher, anybody. Right, right. Yeah. Well, let, let me ask you. I mean, so this is this is year twenty five of being a columnist, you know, and you didn't become a columnist overnight. Like, how do you maintain kind of the the energy and enthusiasm to keep doing the job well? Because you don't mail things in, you do a ton of reporting, you work the room. Like, how do you keep motivated to to do that? I guess. I guess at this point, I feel like I have a whole city behind me. I mean, they're 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 half of them are against me half the time, but it's city <laughs> right yelling but, at you. Yeah, yelling at me. <laughs> But the, yeah, they may be behind me yelling at me or poking sticks at me, or but I think it. I feel like I'm wherever I'm, I'm. It's about more than me at this point. It's about the city and I, I and my voice. Res, I feel like my voice is the voice of the fan. It's become the voice of the fan or the voice of what people are thinking and people are afraid to say. So it's almost been more empowering as I've gotten gone along. The responsibility is great is much much greater now i think and so that mm-hmm. that that fuels me i'm like okay if somebody's gonna be mad about justin turner i better be it if somebody's gonna rip you know dave roberts i gotta do it i can't i can't fool you can't fool the reader it's like in baseball with it when you're talking about if a player's any good or not you always say you can't fool his, his teammates you can't fool the clubhouse they know if a guy you could rip a guy and the clubhouse will be fine. Everybody would be nice to you if you, if, you, if the rip is, is warranted because you can't fool players. And you can't fool readers too. They know when I've backed out, when I've backed off, or when I haven't taken a strong stand on something I need to take a strong stand on. They know when I'm letting somebody off the hook. Mm-hmm. So I feel this responsibility. So that kind of fuels me. Is that, okay, what does L.A. want to read? What is L.A. thinking? What is L.A. afraid to say, but they what they want to say? 
and I try to say it. Mm-hmm. When when do you think? And I asked this looking. There's a book on my shelf now. It's, it's Jim Murray columns. Okay, so like it's a it's a big role. I'm just wondering, like, when did you get the sense of what you just talked about? That you know, this is a big city, and mm. there's a lot of people that care about sports, and and you've become a voice for them. So, at what point as a writer did you start to really really feel that? Probably it was probably in the last. I mean, I don't know. It's been so many. Probably the first. I felt it the first Laker chance, and this is going to age me, but when the Kobe and Shaq were winning championships mm-hmm. back in in two thousand, two thousand one, two thousand two, I were I, I'll never forget the, the column I wrote. This is so I'd been doing it for like five years at the time, and I wrote the columns about the Lakers winning the first title with Kobe and Shaq, and my email was crazy, and my text was crazy, and my voicemail was crazy, and I realized the city was was listening. And watching and and, and and so it you kind of they they kind of wanted me to celebrate with them and i realized that that it was more than just putting down words on a computer and sending them in and and go, going to the next one it's it's tapping into a nerve of a of a, of a tight entire community so i really probably back then i realized it but i was blown i was totally blown away this summer and i don't want to and this i don't want to sound uh, narcissistic here or anything, but when I, I did my, I did a column about, I had COVID. So I figured I had to write about it because I was been ripping teams for playing, for coming back and playing with, you know, I don't think college football should be playing. Mm-hmm. NFL should, the NFL is all messed up. So anyway, I wrote a column about COVID and me having COVID and it got like millions of views and, and clicks. And it was like, wow, people, I don't know if people care more about the COVID or about me. <laughs> <laughs> but it, but it, it but it, it kind of blew me away that that's this many people mm-hmm. cared about it. Mm-hmm. So it's so it's been yeah so it's been it's been an honor and a and a privilege. But it's been it's just a responsibility. You can't if I mail it in or if I soft pedal if I say oh be nice to Dave Roberts after he takes burns this half his bullpen and they lose the game, then I'm coming across as being a fraud, you know. And and, and that's not what the fans that's not what the reader expects. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And it's also, it's like being judicious in when you choose to use that hammer, right? Like not just kind of doing it whenever something goes wrong, but like saving it for when it's actually like worthwhile to be that voice and not just be the guy always yelling at people. Cause that's not who you are as a columnist. Is just no, no. I'll, yeah. I'll get called by our beat people all the time saying, go after this guy, go after this guy. I'm saying, no, it's not really time yet. Oh, I never did that. Don't, don't sell me out like that. That sounds like something Dylan would do. I'm not selling. No, I'm selling about, no, they're, they're, cause our beat guys are all, they're all very perceptive. They're tremendous. Beat guys, beat women, beat or beat, beat reporters. And I use them. I call them. I don't do one column without calling mm-hmm. a beat reporter first before going up, showing up, doing anything. I call them before every game, before every moment or everything I write to make sure I'm on the right track. That's you were great like that too, Andy. I'd say, okay, I want to go after Puig. What do you think about this? And what's the feeling about Puig and all that stuff? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, 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 yeah. But you have to, and I do a lot. Of, I try to do. I, I do because that's kind of how who I am. I do a lot of heartwarming stuff because that's kind of I'm a kind of a sappy old guy, and I think that counteracts the toughness that I have. I think people mm-hmm. can stomach more when I'm being tough when I'm being sappy and, and, and mushy. Do you, which, which, do, no, go sorry. ahead. No, go ahead. Well, I'm just wondering, do you think like the average reader at this point, and I don't, I don't know, like I, I, cause part of me feels like the, the, the modern, like 
the the newspaper columnist in, in this era is not anachronistic, but it's sort of caught in between worlds because like we deal with so much instantaneous feedback on social media, so much work that reporters do is based on Twitter, right? And there's a big wide world outside of Twitter, obviously, but so much of the work that we do is designed to basically like generate response, you know, through social media. And I'm just wondering like how as a, as a columnist you navigate that. Yeah, it's pretty scary. It's like, why should they listen to me if they have 18 other people commenting on it all over the web and all over the internet and then on their phones and everything like that. So I try to now, I try to put things in perspective. I think that's how I try to, I try to compare this Laker, these Laker teams. The, people were all going crazy saying Anthony Davis and LeBron James were like Shaq and Kobe. Mm-hmm. And they're not at all because Shaq and Kobe hated each other. <laughs> now I was in the middle. So, I wrote a column, you know, based around that. So I tried in the Dodgers, the Dodger history, half my column when they won this championship was going back to the history of, of I mean, going back to, you know, to, to, to the days of Lasorda and the days of Joe Torrey and all the mistakes they made and all the blunders they had. So I try to, I try to write it as if, and I, and I try even harder now to do this, to put my, my historical perspective in there because that's really what I can lend that nobody else that, that I have, that's the only advantage I have. Cause I don't have the advantage of, of time, of quickness, mm-hmm. of speed. Mm-hmm. Cause it's, cause the internet's out there right, right away. The tweets are out there right away. I don't have the advantage of outrage really because outrage is, is there constantly. So I try to give it perspective if I can, but it's hard. It's, 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 it's hard. It makes you, I mean, and there was, there was times this summer when everything was shut down with COVID. I'm like, what do they need me for? Mm-hmm. What do they need any of us for? Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm lucky. So I'm the luckiest man on earth to have a job. I still believe that every day. And that's the other, that's the other thing that now talk with Dylan about this a lot. Young, younger, younger writers today sometimes. Then I, I envy this. They don't have a fear of failure. I got a fear of getting fired. I've got a constant fear that my next column is going to blow me up. So that keeps me going too, mm-hmm. is I have this fear of being irrelevant, a fear of being un- unheard. And you do, and, and you know, you guys know this, you'll write a story that gets a, a million clicks and a lot of subscribers and all that. Then you write a story that gets nothing. Mm-hmm. And you're like, wait a minute now. So I guess they weren't reading it for me, they're reading it for the subject, which of course is, is, is always the truth. Mm-hmm. And it's very humbling. And so it's a very, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, I'm, I'm very blessed to work for a, a paper with a great owner that has, you know, that has shown to have deep pockets so far. I'm very, very lucky. I mean, you hear about these layoffs all the time. I think some people don't, some people approach the business like they don't care if they get fired. They don't, they don't need to do this story. They don't need to take this stand. They don't need to, you know, write this. And also with columns, there's just not many big city column voices out there anymore because the papers have merged and mm-hmm. I mean, like who's the big, who's the big voice voice in New York now? Vac? Vac. Carl, yep. Vac. Yeah. Yeah. The New York times doesn't, you know, of course New York times yeah. is not, it's not that kind of paper. Yeah. I mean like Kurt Streeter's doing columns of the times, but yeah. he's not like writing about the giants. Right. You know, right. Writing about the Yankees. Yeah. 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 Sha- Shaughnessy in Boston. I mean, I don't want to start listing because there's, there's, <laughs> there, there's a bunch of them out there still, but, yeah. but it's a, it is just for, for the reasons you said, because of all the internet 
I mean, will there be, here's a question, will there be a young writer become a columnist who ends up having the kind of sway that some of the big city columnists have today or are those days done? Hmm. You know, Mark, what do you think? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't think it's the same, you know, like, and that's just a matter of like the landscape itself. Like this idea that we go to one place for something is just so antiquated. Like I, yeah. I being on a beat. So I had been, uh, you know, Newsday was the last beat I was at the Newsday Mets beat. Like I tried to approach that job. Like my readers were only reading Newsday. And it made, mm-hmm. and I thought of it that way because it was like, well, you need to go get everything, and if you get beat, you need to come back and 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 get your pound of flesh the next day. Like I hated losing, and so like, but I always like took it in my mind as like, only they're only seeing this, and that wasn't true. That was clearly not true, um, and like I feel like being that big city columnist in a way, like it, it's sort of like in that world of, well, they're only reading the LA Times, they're only reading the New York Post, like it's one or the other. Um, and and you, as you talked about, right, like it, you know that there's a lot of voices out there. So in that way, like it's just, you know, it's not the same hammer, but like on the flip side of it, because they become so much rarer and they tend to be people that have built up credibility over time, mm-hmm. I think it's special. Like I cannot wait when VAC weighs in on something out here. Like when something happens mm-hmm. in New York, like that is my first read. Yeah, and I, Sheriff, I know that Sheriff in LA, Sheriff, in the that's law. right, pull out the badge, let's go. And like, <laughs> you know, clearly like in LA, that's you. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I don't know, man, like, and maybe this is just like, cause I'll, I'll always be a newspaper person. That still blows my mind. Like that's amazing. So, yeah. uh, well, I think in, I think the the idea that like the the sort of preeminence of the generalist sports columnist has been replaced by the the per sport insider. You know, so it's like you know uh, Rosenthal or passing on baseball or you know Woj or Shams right. on on the NBA. And so like you know when Ken when Ken weighs in and you know takes a swipe at someone like it has weight. It's just he's not doing it in the Baltimore Sun. He's doing it, you know, for The Athletic or before for Fox Sports. I mean, I just think, though, that, like, the, the generalist, like, I speak for the city columnist, like, yeah, there's not, there's not as many of them who, who sort of have that sort of, you know, sway. Well, it's hard. You make a good point is that there's no – if I'm writing about the Dodgers, there's no <clears> – <throat> Rodgers offseason moves and what do they need to do. There's no way I can be as in-depth as Rosenthal. There's no way I can be as in-depth right. as, as Bill Shaken. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I have to rely, you know, a lot of it is just on my credibility in the community and, you know, and again, talking to talking to as many people as I can, mm-hmm. but it does, but you're right. It's, is it is a, it is not a generalist. Well, look, well, look at, look at some of the big websites. I mean, how many national generalist columnists are there right now? There's Dan Wetzel. Yeah. Uh, Yahoo. Uh, Ian O'Connor, maybe. When he did. Yeah. But yeah. he's kind of doing more like football. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, you're right. It might just be like kind of Dan Wetzel. <laughs> well, know? Christine Brennan does stuff for the right. USA right. Today. Yeah. But Nancy Armour does stuff for AP. But uh, oh no, no, for USA Today too. But um, mm-hmm. but yeah, there's just not. So think about that. People have gone away from that. But I think it's important. I think people. I think people in cities. I think readers want someone because I know for sure now, in smaller towns. These columnists who write about preps and stuff are huge, are huge. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think people, I think along, along the lines of what Kerrig was saying, that people want someone to read who they think is like, it speaks for them. 
mm-hmm. and, and reaches them and, and connects with them mm-hmm. and their surroundings and their background. <clears throat> no, I think that like, like the, the, the column, you know, columnist did a paper in Omaha or mm-hmm. Albuquerque mm-hmm. or Nashville. I think those people are huge there probably mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. they that speak, they speak for them. Right. Right. That makes sense. Well, well it's, it's funny. The talk about conversions are, you know, conversions are what people, as you guys know, if you read a story and then you sign up for the a subscription after reading the story, that's a conversion. And our conversions king in our paper is our prep writer, Eric Sondheimer. Sondheimer. That's great. Because the minute he writes about somebody, <laughs> the parents are right away. Yeah. So his stories have few, <laughs> they have few clicks, not a lot of clicks, a lot of conversions. It's like the velvet <laughs> underground. Yeah. 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 Because, because <laughs> people want to read about themselves in their community. That makes sense. That makes sense. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redding. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man of the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, let, let me ask you. So you started doing Around the Horn in like the first year? Was that in what, 02, 03? 03. I started about six months after they started. Okay. How has how being on TV for almost like 20 years at this point changed the way you do the job? Well, it's, it's, it's helped me not really in L.A. because people know me in L.A. from the L.A. Times. But nationally, it's been, in, it's been uh, priceless. I mean, I can, mm-hmm. so I can go into clubhouses and not know anybody, and somebody comes up and says something to me. You know, these, you know, these players grew up watching. The, I'll, one of, some of my best acquaintances in sports are NBA referees because they all watch it before they come to the game. So they'll, they'll, come, off, they'll be, come off the floor at Staples Center and stop and talk to me and say hello to me. And I've never met him before. But it gives you a certain – and then when you call, when you call to do – let's say I need to do a, a piece on a college kid in Utah. Mm-hmm. Well, the SIDs heard of me. The coaches heard of me. The college kids heard of me. So that's really, really, really helps. My favorite story about that is, is I'm, I'm with – Several ESPN employees, Gene Wojciechowski, a good buddy of mine, and several of his buddies were in Vegas. It's about 10 years ago. And we go to this Cirque du Soleil show, Love, based on the Beatles. And I hate Cirque du Soleil because they don't talk. There's no, there's no dialogue. They just bounce around. So I'm bored out of my mind and watching this. And all of a sudden, there's a part in this show where they take a tarp and they climb up the, through the stands on the seat rest armrests and cover the cover the crowd with a tarp so some dude dressed like the tin man is climbing up some you know leotard and tin man outfit and remember they don't speak the whole show they don't they don't talk 
he comes up and he gets to my chair as he's climbing above me. He looks down, he goes, Klashke. <laughs> and he keeps going. I'm like, what? <laughs> and it turns out the Cirque du Soleil got all the acrobats. They're all athletes. They sleep till two o'clock in the afternoon. And that's when around the horns on. So they get up at two o'clock in the afternoon and watch around the horn. So yeah, it was the first thing. The only thing you said was Plasky. That's great. That's fun. So, so that's, so that's, so yeah, it's really helped. It's really been helpful in making it easy for me to do interviews and phone interviews and, you know, that, those sorts of things out, outside of LA, but increasingly mm-hmm. I'm not interested but increasingly as I've gotten older and done this more, I want to be just an LA guy. Cause mm. I think as the readers can get, they can get comments on the big 10 playing football mm-hmm. from somewhere else, mm-hmm. but they can't get a comment on a pack on a USC player, except for me. Right. Right. So I, I try to be more out and I stress our paper. I want our paper to be more LA centric. Mm-hmm. Because we can own LA, we can't own anything else. Right, right. That makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. How did you think the TV stuff would go when you started? Because it's obviously different. So we, we had, I had no idea. I just thought it was fun. It was like it was like being on talk radio but having a camera. I had no, <laughs> I had no idea people would uh, react to it like they have. I mean, it's amazing. It's been on, this show's been on the air now eighteen years. Yeah, why is it still on the air? As long as like not. Science- like everything's been canceled. Why is it still on the air? You know, it's a beats the hell out of me. It's like <laughs> no, 60 minutes. No, it's really Tony Reale does a great job of keeping it fresh. And I think I'd like to think they have the we're all kind of characters on the show. I mean, I wonder I wondered what well, all the young and smart and flashy new ESPN talent. Why do they have Bill Plasky on this show, on the show still? <laughs> But I think it's because I think one thing they recognize is that the, the viewers like the credibility of having people who have been there and been in the clubhouse and been in the locker room and can lend that air of credibility. And also they can make fun of us a lot, a lot easier. The young people make fun of the old people a lot easier. So there's a dichotomy like that. And I think it's like people like watching it because they're like now they're like watching their uncles and their aunts <laughs> and their cousins and their brothers. Just like we're like family members to them now. It's, it's incredible, but I give full credit to Aaron Solomon and to Tony Reale. Aaron Solomon's a producer. Tony Reale's a host, of course, who have just kept this thing going. And it's just, it's amazing how fresh it is and how people, the ratings are great. People love it. And uh, who knew after all these years, it would be, it would still be, they, they had a funny, I was on the yesterday and they had a funny reminiscence. I've been on so long. They talked about my Argyle phase. There was a, there was a, <laughs> There was a point in the show where I was involved with a young woman who loved me to wear Argyle. So for about a year, I wore Argyle on the show. Argyle ties, Argyle sweaters. Then we broke up, and one day I stopped wearing Argyle. I said, what happened to your Argyle? So we broke up. <laughs> and then I wore my glasses. One, for about six, one, one woman I was with one time said she loved my glasses. So I wore my glasses for six months, and they told me that the reflection is too bad. You can't, you can't wear them anymore. You can't see. It's too bad. Take the glasses off. And me and the woman broke up. So I blame them for killing my relationship. Yeah. But it's, it seems it, like it might be a different conversation. But yeah, yeah, it's possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a, it's like a big family. We're like, we're like a big family is what I'm saying. It. Do you feel like you have to play a role because it's television? And I ask that because like I'll, I'll never forget. I was at the Washington Post 
covering GW basketball. They make the tournament. Will Bunn's there. He's going to write a column. I'd never met him. Uh, like, I could barely hear him. Like, he, I, more than once I had to ask him to speak up. Like, he would, you know, it would just, you know, and that was such a difference from this, you know, larger-than-life person on TV. Not to say that he was, like, quiet, but, like, like it wasn't that is my point. And, like, do you feel like, you know, there's some element of sort of putting a hat on and going to be a good TV guy that's a little different than, like, even a conversation like this? Well, for me, not really. I'm pretty much who I am on TV. Woody Page is really different. He's really quiet in person. And he's really hilarious on television. But for me, I'm just I'm just myself. I figure that that and that's what they tell you to be. They don't people have always said, well, they try to stir up arguments. Say we don't do that. No, no, because you have to believe in what you're saying. So I'm just if there's a role I play, it's an LA guy. I'm much more of a homer, an LA homer on TV than I am in the paper. Hmm. But I gotta rep but I gotta represent the LA and the Pac twelve and the Lakers <laughs> and Dodgers and all that. So it's fun to do that. But um no, I don't, I don't, you know, I think that's when you get in trouble. You try to be somebody you're not. So that's, that's why I'm amazed. I'm still on the show. I'm just, I've just been Bill Plasky for all these years. And who, who'd have, who in the hell would have thought it would work? I think what you're trying to say is you're just as ridiculous in real life as you are on television, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think so. And, 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 and it's just, it's amazing, it's, it's, it's amazing to me. It's just, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's one of the wonders of the world. Yeah. So you're uh, you're on book leave right now? Yes, I'm finishing this book, Paradise Found, the story of the uh, team rises from the ashes. It's the story of the 2019 Paradise High football team. That's in Paradise, California. The town was decimated by fire in 2018, and they had to rebuild everything from the whole, the whole town was demolished. Twenty five thousand homes gone, everybody gone, everybody, you know, 86 people mm -hmm. dead. So they tried to re they, they, the rebuilding started with the high school football team starting from scratch. Anyhow, it didn't have a football. So I followed them last season. So I'm finishing the book now, a book which had been finished before now, if it hadn't been for the Lakers and Dodgers. <laughs> right. right. But I'm so used to, I'm, it's hard. It's really hard to do the book yeah. because I'm so used to instant gratification. I think we all are. Mm -hmm. is that they, you know, we have to write. I love to write, go to bed the next morning, get, get in exhausted, give it all you can, wake up the next morning and read it on the web, read the comments, get the email, feel the buzz you created, feel that response, good or bad. You don't get that we're doing a book. It's, mm -hmm. That's like a marathon. Yeah. yeah. Well, Andy, have you, and have you ever told a story book-wise about what happened to your Dodger book in 2017? Uh, no, but I think, uh, <laughs> I mean, the Astros cheated you out of it. Some people were financial victims in the 2017 world series and they didn't even play. Yeah. It's just, that's okay. We put can, it that way. we can put it that way. I, you know, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Uh, yeah. I'm more frustrated that we should have done a book about the, about the Royals. That's just, that was just, uh, I don't know. I, I would have done a book about the Royals if I hadn't taken the job at the LA Times and then I just didn't want to think about the Royals anymore. Well, so you know, the, the, I've, written, I've written five books and the one that's gotten the, that sold the best was the uh, Chuck Knox book when he coached Seattle Seahawks. So it's the same, <laughs> it's the same, it's the same, yeah, it's the same thing. 
It's Kansas City. That wet book would have sold out, Andy. That would have been yeah. a tremendous sell. I know, Bill. I know, Bill. We should have. I can send you the first chapter if you ever want to read it. <laughs> Me and Sam Mellinger did about half of it. So, What would you um, say to somebody who's terrified to try to write a book? Well, you have to be terrified because it's very scary. <laughs> and you just, you have to, if, if, it's, if it's not scary, it's not worth doing, right? That's the way I look at everything in life. If you're not scared a little bit, it's not worth it. You know, they they tell me, okay, you got a 9-15 deadline on a 6-30 game start. That's a little scary, but it's worth it. So I tell somebody, just start it. Just 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 go for it. I mean, it's it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. And it's a daily grind. And you have to be so organized and you have to love to write. But if you're if you're scared of it, then that's absolutely you do it. You try it because you never know what can happen. This, so the book's being made into a movie, mm-hmm. which I found interesting because it's not even a book yet. <laughs> I'm <laughs> That's like, a good agent right there. Yeah, it's a great agent. He sold them the movie rights. and So then the, the guy's telling me that he's got, he's got the screenplay done. I said, well, yeah, I haven't finished the book yet. <laughs> so, But I think when you sign over, and I told the coach this, the Paradise High coach, Rick Prince, I told him this, when you sign over your movie rights, you sign over everything. So he could be in the movie, he could be a young woman coach. I mean, mm-hmm. he could be he could be anything. They, they could mm-hmm. make they could turn him into anything. Mm-hmm. So I told him, it's "Are just, you a character in the movie?" I, I don't know. I haven't I haven't seen the screenplay. Oh, that'd but, be good. Who would you want to play you? Oh my gosh, uh, uh, Billy Joel. <laughs> So okay, so so I, I once looked like Billy Joel. I guess I still kind of do, without my glasses. So I mean, maybe, I, I'm, so, so Billy Joel was at doing a Super Bowl press conference one time because he was singing the national anthem before their Super Bowl, and they do they can make him do press conferences. And I'm there with my colleague J. A. Donde, and Donde says, "Ask him, ask him if anybody ever says he looks like you. Ask him, ask him." <laughs> He's nudging me and nudging me, and I didn't ask him. I couldn't ask him, but I did Smart. ask. But I did ask him one question. Prince did it. A, a press conference and he had his whole band up there because he was doing a halftime show, I guess. Mm-hmm. And said, okay, questions. And I had to, I had to raise my hand at the first question and I'm saying, okay, how much pressure is there? And he said, that's it. No more questions. And he started playing. So, so he, <laughs> I've been blown off by Prince. That's probably for the best. Yeah. It's probably for the best. <laughs> I'm lucky I knew who Prince was. That's good. Yeah. My favorite He's music group is time. ABBA. <laughs> it is they play every time i do radio out here they play that's the most underrated great band ever and i guarantee if you had a party and i was at i was at a uh at a little gathering on on saturday night and i they're playing it's a bunch of 30 somethings and i put on abba and everybody started dancing that's great that's great yeah yeah right <laughs> look at guys, look at a- 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 andy's so playing nice right now one one time he got know, into my he car is. he and pedro mora got into my car at the gm oh meetings and God. i had a top 40 radio station on and you'd think i'd poured acid on both of them the way it's they unbelievable reacted. no abba's got good songs they only There's care about music that nobody's they only care about performers nobody's heard of music that's, that's too cool for school that's right <laughs> Too cool for school is the like hipster the, ball riders yeah. of America. Yeah, that's right. You, you the tight jeans wearing girl. hipster ball riders of yeah. America. <laughs> well, Bill, thank you so much for doing this, man. It's good to see you. All right, guys. You guys, you guys are the best. Love you guys. Thank you. Yeah, Thanks for save having, it. Thanks for having me. All right, me. stay safe, man. All right, man. Later.
Thanks again for listening. If you are not a subscriber to The Athletic, go to theathletic.com slash beyondthescrum and join for just $1 a week. Have a good one. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.